message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, if you'll find your place in the book of Zechariah, we've been walking through this minor prophet. And uh, the more I read, the more we uh, go through it, the more I study. Zechariah is not that minor of a prophet. He might be minor because of his brief message, but man, it's really, it's really profound. So as you're finding your place there in Zechariah 7, I want to tell you just a brief story by way of introduction. There's a, a pastor who's also a preaching professor that I knew when I was in seminary. His name's Dr. Stephen Rummage. And... Um, he was pastoring a church, I believe, over toward Alabama, Mississippi, that part of the country. And he tells a story a few years ago how uh, he and his wife were invited by their church to a picnic for uh, the preschoolers and their families. So this was a few years back when his kids were younger. And so they had gone to the church for this event. And they're sitting there on the on the grounds of the church, you know, having a picnic. Kids are running around playing. It's just that type of atmosphere. You can picture it in your mind. Uh, not quiet, certainly. You know, a lot of kids running around. But having a good time. They're having a picnic. And they had been there, he says, for about an hour or so. And he noticed, as he looked over on one of the sidewalks near to where they were gathered, he noticed some people walking by, headed over toward the sanctuary building of the church. And they were all there wearing dark suits and dresses, and, uh, but they, were head, they weren't coming to this event. They were going over to the sanctuary. And it would take but a minute or two, and he realized these folks, there was a funeral happening at the church that day. And so... Whatever scheduling problem happened, they're over here with their kids and these families just, you know, hooping and hollering, eating food, having a good time. Meanwhile, there's families over here walking on the edge of, the, of where they were, headed to the sanctuary for a funeral. And he says that this, this scene kind of stuck in his mind for years after that because it made him realize this this interesting phenomenon. We might be sitting here having the, one of the best days of our lives. But at the same time, somebody's headed to a funeral. You may be headed to a, a, a funeral and someone else at the same time in another part of town or another part of the state or another part of the world is having just a wonderful day. And, and here's the interesting thing. Sometimes we don't pay attention to that very closely. Sometimes we may not be sensitive to people around us where we might be, everything's great, we're having a good time, and, and we may not understand that we need to be sensitive to people around us who might not be having such a good day. They might be carrying some heavier burdens. And so let me read you one quote from, from Dr. Rummage as he tells the story. He says, At the moment when you're celebrating the greatest joy of your life, someone else 
may be experiencing their greatest sorrow. So here's why I bring that up. This portion of Zechariah today, chapter 7 and 8, a couple years have passed since the visions that we read about in the first six chapters have, have happened. In fact, the construction of the temple of God is, is uh, it's moving right along. In fact, it's nearly halfway completed at this point. But the problem was, God's people had lapsed into complacency and uh, even maybe what, we, what you might call traditionalism when it came to their worship. See, they were no longer worshiping God from hearts filled with joy and gratitude. They were just going through the motions only looking for how they could personally benefit from their observances. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't meaningful anymore. And the sad part was it wasn't the first time it had happened. You see, if we're not sensitive to to what's happening around us, it's very possible that we could show up to church because that's what we do on Sunday. We could go to Sunday school because, well, that's what, we, that's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. It's just a routine. I'm just checking my religious box. But it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. You know, I just go because I know I'm supposed to go. I've always gone, so I just go. But, but the, the benefit is more focused on myself than it is on, on God. That, that's a, it's a, a possibility, a potential for that to happen. That if we just go through the motions and we're not really engaged with the God we're supposed to be here to be worshiping, then we may not really receive much of anything from having been here. Does that make sense? God doesn't need us to show up for His benefit. In fact, it's just the opposite. We need God. And that's why I hope that's why we show up. Because we realize how needy we really are. So let me read this text of Scripture today. Similar to last week, it's two chapters, so it's a little longer, more of a narrative story. But then there's just a couple of things here to uh, make sure we acknowledge as we go through. So I'm going to start reading chapter 7, verse 1, go through the end of chapter 8, and hopefully you'll see the story as it develops, and then we'll break it down just a a, a bit after we finish reading. Here's what the Bible says, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now the people of Bethel, had sent Sherezer and Regan-Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for those seventy years, was it for me you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves, drink for yourselves? Were not those the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I've returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountains of the Lord of hosts the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall once again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it's marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. And I'll bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people. And I'll be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in those days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, so that the temple might be built. For before those days... There was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety for the, from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit. And the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I'll cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I didn't relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore... 
love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let's go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray Your blessing on this Word we've read. And I pray that You'll open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us understand what You're saying here so that we might be obedient and you might be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There's several things in this text today. And I, I read it and read it and read it over and over. And at first reading, I wasn't really following what was going on until I, I, I remembered what had happened before. And it put me in mind of a couple other passages of Scripture that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference here in a minute. But there's several things going on here that God's trying to tell His people. And remember, this is 500 years before Jesus was born when this was happening. And now here we are, 2,000 plus years on the other side of that, and yet the message is exactly the same. The first thing we need to do, based on this text, is we need to examine our motives in worship. Examine our motives in worship. The very first three verses kind of set the stage for this next section of this prophecy because here's what happened. When you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, messengers have been sent from Bethel to inquire of the Lord. So where did they go? They went to God's people. They went to Jerusalem. But you understand what they're asking when they get there? And let me just boil it down to you, verse 3. They want to know if they still have to do the same things they've been doing for all these years. So let me put that into a current context. Hey, preacher, I've been coming to church for 30, 40 years now. Do I still need to do that? I've been going to Bible study. You know, i got perfect attendance. I've been checking my boxes. Is there any need for me to still do that? Or, in this case, God prescribed fasting and praying in certain months. That's when you hear it say in the fourth, in the fifth month, in the seventh month, in the tenth month. They were supposed to do these particular things. God had told them to do it. So now these folks have come to the, inquire of the Lord and that was their question. Hey, I've been doing this all these years. Do I still have to do that? Do I have to do that anymore? You know what that says? Hey, I've been doing this, but I don't really see any benefit. So do I still have to do that? What's our motive? What's our motive when we get in the car, we make a decision, hey, I'm going to go to meet with the church today. And I say, I'm, you notice I said, I didn't say I'm going to go to church. Because we don't go to church. We are the church. The people is the church. So this is the church meeting in this room. So when we get in the car and we decide, hey, we're going to go meet with the, with the body of Christ. We meet with the church. 
And we want, what are we thinking when we do that? Are we thinking, well, they better make it worth my while when I get down there. I might not come back. What am I going to get out of this today? It's like the fellow that walked out to church service uh, and told the preacher, well, preacher, I didn't get a whole lot out of the service today. And he said, that's all right, we weren't worshiping you. What's our motive? Why do, why do we bother? Is it because we're trying to get something? Or is it because we've recognized who we are in light of who God is? And, and maybe we just decide, hey, I, I need to go, I need to offer something. I need to offer something to the Lord. He's been good to me. What's my motive? Number two, pursue God's righteousness rather than man's religion. Pursue God's righteousness rather than man's religion. From verse 4 to verse 10, God's showing the people that their fasting and their mourning was not genuine. And He tells the people their eating and their drinking and all their customs, it was all self-centered. It wasn't God-focused. And He reminds them that it's been that way for some time. And so He admonishes the people that they need to live out their profession of faith. Don't just say it, live it out. And so look what He tells them here in the text. He says, verse, uh, let's see, verse 9. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to, to one another. Don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor. Don't devise evil against one another in your heart. So, he's telling the people, hey, it's, it's, not, it's not just checking boxes and jumping through hoops and going through motions. That's not what this is about. It, it should be more genuine, more real. Live out your profession. James Boyce wrote this about this particular section. He says, the point is clear. God is not content with mere ceremonial acts. On the contrary, He actually hates such acts if they're not preceded and accompanied by a genuine love for God and for other people. In other words, it did not make any difference whether they were fasting or feasting. In each case, they were just pleasing themselves. Their celebrations had nothing to do with true religion. Their worship, whether by fasting or by anything else, did not lead to acts of mercy to the abandoned and the oppressed. Yet this is what Isaiah, Amos, Samuel, Moses, and indeed all the prophets and writers of Scripture were calling for. Without such acts, the form of religion is not true religion. Without justice, the worship of God, however intense or prolonged, is just blasphemy. So here's what this looks like. All the way through the Old Testament, God has said the same thing over and over and over again. You go all the way back to 1 Samuel. He mentions, James Boyce mentions these uh, Isaiah, Amos, Samuel, Moses. If, if you go back, and you can write these down if you want to, uh, I'm going to just note a couple of references. If you were to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, here's what Samuel was inspired to write. He said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as He does in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. In other words, don't just give me the sacrifice and think you're good. Are you doing what I'm saying? That's God's message to us. Are you actually listening to my words, or are you just kind of, well, I'll just do this sacrifice and that'll, that'll clear it up. It'll be alright. Or how about Isaiah? Isaiah wrote, and he, he wrote a lot about this, but Isaiah chapter 58 from verse 3 to verse 9. He, he says, Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? In the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and you oppress your workers. You only fast to quarrel and to fight. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Why will you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? And so, so what Isaiah is saying to the people is, you're doing things, but you're going through these motions, and so technically, you're doing what God asks you to do, but your heart's not right. Your heart's not in it. You don't really care about the people around you. You just, well, I, hey, I went to church. Give me credit. Right? Amos, this is one of my favorite ones. Amos chapter 5, from verse 21 to 24. God actually tells the people, I hate everything you're doing. And the reason why I said that was because they were doing things, but they weren't living right. They weren't acting right. Their, their hearts were not devoted to God. They were just doing stuff. In Amos chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, I won't accept them. Your peace offerings of your fattened animals, I won't look on them. And, and listen to this, verse 23. Take away the noise of your songs. Don't even open the hymn book and try to sing praises to me because I know your heart doesn't mean it. He said, take, he, take, take away the noise of your songs. He knows that, that the words we're singing, are, do they really reflect our heart's desire? Do they really reflect devotion to Christ? Or is it just, well, we're supposed to stand up and sing right now, so let's just get it over with. Let's just sing. I mean, do, do you, can you imagine? Just the, this, let's just think about the songs we sang this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. How can you say those words with a smile on your face if you don't trust in Christ? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Do we really believe that? Or is it just words on the screen, words on a page? Is it a nice melody? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Do we do that? Are we really leaning on Jesus? Or is it, well, that's just the first verse. Just sing the first verse. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
See, this message is timely. It might have been written 2,500 years ago, but it could have been written this week. And it could have said, To the American church, love God. That's how, that's how appropriate it is for our day and time. We're, we're to pursue God's righteousness, not man's religion. Number three, seek God's voice rather than your own desire. Seek God's voice rather than your own desire. God is reminding the people in verse 11 down to verse 14 their past uh, disobedience like their, their uh, forefathers, the, the previous generation. Well, you remember how they acted. You remember what happened to them. Uh, here's their disobedience. Here were the consequences of their actions. And it's almost as if God is explaining to the people, this is what happens when we think we know better than God. When God gives us His Word, plain as day, here's what He wants us to do. But, well, I mean, I know you're God and everything, but uh, you're not you know, down here in our circumstances. So, so uh, I think we got this figured out. Because you know, we're so intelligent. We're so much smarter than the one who spoke creation into existence. You know, we, surely we know better, right? That, that's, the, that's what our actions would portray, that, that we know better than God. And so from verse 11 to verse 14 at the end of chapter 7, he helps the people see, hey, this is how the previous generation behaved, and this is what happened. Do you not see? Learn from history. Number four, trust God's faithfulness rather than your own abilities. Trust God's faithfulness rather than your own abilities. When we get into chapter 8, there's three little sections here, all the, almost to the end of the chapter. And, and God is showing three different things. He's showing His future promises, His blessings. He's showing the responsibilities of the people. And then He's showing His goodness that demands genuine faith, genuine uh, devotion to Him. So when you first start out in chapter 8, you see some future blessings. Jerusalem is going to be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of hosts is going to be called the holy mountain. And then look at the description. This is so beautiful. He says, old men, old men and old women are going to be sitting in the street again. You know, people are going to be out, hanging out together. He says, boys and girls are going to be playing in the streets. It's a picture of prosperity, of, of goodness. And then he says, it says verse 3 and verse 4, verse 5. Then in verse 7, he says, I'm going to save my people. Verse 8, they'll be my people. I'll be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. James Boyce says about that picture, the remarkable thing about these incentives for true religion is that there's nothing remarkable or new about them. It's simply the old theme of Deuteronomy. Where there is obedience, there will be blessing. Where there is disobedience, there will be judgment. It's just that simple. So if that's what God has promised, what is the responsibility of the people? He says in verse 9, let your hands be strong 
so that the temple might be built. Remember, that's the, that's the job He had given them. And at this point, the temple's about halfway, halfway built, right? Verse 11, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days. So now He's already helping them to see your, your, your previous generation acted this way and this was their consequence, but I'm not dealing with you that way. If you will just simply obey... And follow my word. He said, I've got better things in store for you. Verse 12, there's going to be a sowing of peace. The vine's going to give its fruit. The ground's going to give its produce. The heaven's going to give the rain and the dew. I'll cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And then in verse 13, he says, I'll save you. You will be a blessing. So fear not. Let your hands be strong. In other words, don't be afraid. Just just do what I'm asking you. Follow my word. See, another nugget of wisdom from James Boyce. He says, obedience concerns specifics, but not just any specifics. It concerns the particular task or command God has laid upon us. And in this case, it concerned the command of God through His prophets to build the temple. See, we like to talk about obedience in general terms without coming to grips with what God's requiring of us. Or we talk about specifics as long as we don't need to come to terms with actually doing them. See, sometimes... You ever heard this response? You, you, you ask somebody about doing something, they say, well, let me pray about it. That's fair, right? You should pray about it. But what if it's something God's already told you to do? Should you keep praying about it? Or should you actually do it? Right? Yeah, you should pray to get the wisdom and the guidance. But once you're convinced, God, okay, God wants me to do this. Well, okay, it's time to stop praying and start doing. Actually follow. And that's where the people were stumbling here. So God's goodness demands more of a genuine faith, not just a lot of talk, but some action. Verse 15, Again, have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and Judah? Fear not. So then in verse 16 and 17, He, he gives some more instruction. Here, here's what I want you to do. Look what He says in chapter 8, verse 16 17, right here at the end. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Verse 17, Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. Trust God's faithfulness, not your own abilities. See God's promises and then do what God leads us to do. So how does this end? You get to the very end of chapter 8. Number five, demonstrate a heart of genuine worship. You remember how we started at the beginning of chapter seven? Examine your motives for worship. And here we are at the end of chapter eight. Demonstrate a heart of genuine worship. And God says to the people, those fasts that I had asked you to do, they're going to be transformed into feasts. You're not going to be fasting anymore. You're going to be celebrating. 
You're going to be celebrating the goodness of God. Apathy and complacency is going to be transformed into righteousness and justice. The Gentiles are actually going to be called to salvation. And it says in the text here that they will follow a Jewish man. Now, can anybody think of a Jewish man that came around about 500 years after this? Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, son of a carpenter. Ring any bells? See, this whole thing, for all the things that are addressed with the people of God, the whole thing is about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. What does God tell His people to do? Listen to My Word. And how does He close this chapter? Demonstrate a heart of genuine worship. He says uh, in verse 23, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue will take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let's, Let us go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. You know what that says? It, it screams. It's a big, big, beautiful picture of the church. And here's what it looks like. The more we do what God says, not just say it, but do it. The more we do what God says, here's what will happen. People will be drawn to godly behavior. And, and as they're drawn, look at verse 23. The last verse in our chapter here. Chapter 8, verse 23. They're going to, hey, can we go with you? Are, are you going to church? Can we go with you? We heard God's with you. See, the more we follow Jesus, the more people will be attracted to that. And they'll notice something's, something's different about you. I can't put my finger on it. I really don't know what's going on here. But, but just your life, your behavior, the way you treat people, the way you respond to difficult situations. I've been watching you a while and, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm not really sure what you got going on, but... I want to know more. Can I go with you? It just seems like God's with you. And I want to know more about that. See, all of this, this picture of things being transformed, fast being transformed into a feast, mourning being turned to dancing, beauty coming from ashes, that's the kind of transformation that God gives when we just simply read His Word, do what He says, follow His leadership, demonstrate genuine worship by not just checking boxes or going through the motions, but actually engaging with God. There's a, a somewhat recent worship song that talks about this. And uh, some of our younger crowd, maybe our middle-aged crowd might recognize some of this. It speaks about this same transformation. Oh, there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you, Lord. 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 There
Nothing is better than you Talk a good game. Live it out. Anybody can say some stuff. But it takes a true disciple of Christ to live it out. And that's what He wants from us. Let me pray for you. For listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.